The views expressed on this program are solely those of the speaker and do not reflect the views and opinions of Centennial Securities. Be reminded that this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Happy Friday! Welcome to the Weekly Investment Podcast, where we discuss the week's must-know investment news and how it affects your money. I am your host, Walter. Let's kick things off with a couple of confessions. First, some keen-eared listeners noticed that I sounded a little hoarse last week. Well, the kids decided to share their cold, but I am feeling much better. Thank you for your well wishes, and I hope that I'm sounding a little bit better this week. Second confession, we were due to discuss corporate earnings today, given the slew of mega companies that reported, including some of the tech giants. Instead, we have a special interview for you. I am so very excited for today's guest. This person has an unbelievable resume when it comes to software engineering, having worked for the who's who in big tech. They were the engineering lead for AOL Time Warner's streaming media platform, the lead product engineer for Salesforce.com when that company went public. They helped migrate Netflix into cloud services and have been involved in four startups, including the largest ad tech acquisition at the time. Currently, they are a distinguished engineer at Meta, owner of Facebook, who reported earnings on Wednesday and crushed it. Full transparency, our guest is my older brother, John Paolo Muzumeci. You will hear me call him GP, as he is known. With that, let's crack right into the interview. Hey, GP. How are you? Not too bad. How's it going? I'm doing well. Thanks. Thank you for being on The Whip. It's nice to have you on the program. So first, thanks for having me. Long-time listener, first-time caller. It's great being here. Could you please start by telling us how you landed at Meta? When I moved to California, just before the dot-com crisis, uh, my first job was at Sun. My first office, which was literally a converted closet, was in Building 12 of Sun's Menlo Park campus, which ended up being acquired by Meta. My first desk at Meta was in the same building, one floor down. So when I joined Meta and walked into my office for the first day, I was actually walking into the same building I'd walked into for my first job out of college. And one of the things I noticed when I walked in was that we had posters all over the walls I noticed one that said, this journey is 1% finished. And it turns out that's one of the unofficial mottos for the company. It's a reminder that everything can be changed, that we're always learning, we're never done. So I'm happy to talk with you about AI and the metaverse, two really exciting areas. We are not even close to 1% finished. That's interesting. I was unaware that Meta bought Sun's old campus. Look, a lot of water under the bridge from your start at Sun to landing at Meta but it must have felt just a little bit surreal bringing things full circle in a sense. 
Tell me more about how it felt walking into Meta on your first day. It was really strange. It's a little bit of an opportunity to reflect how things have changed and how I changed, frankly, over the course of my career and how easy it is for giants to fall. At at the time, in 2000, Sun was a giant company. We were at the the pinnacle of the dot-com craze. And then, you know, 20 years later, the campus had been sold off to the next up-and-comer. There's actually a little bit of memento mori at Meta, where the backside of the Meta sign outside the campus that we acquired from Sun, the reverse side of it still has the old Sun logo. And it was intentionally left that way as a reminder to the employees that mm. no matter how, how good you think you are, you can always fall. Wow, that's really curious they decided to leave that up. What a powerful reminder coming into work every day. It was very intentional. With Meta releasing earnings on Wednesday, it is incredibly topical to have you on the pod. The market will be looking for growth opportunities, and it feels like in this moment anyway, that growth in big tech is synonymous with artificial intelligence. How does Meta use AI? As an engineer, I deeply value clarity. So let me explain what I mean when I talk about AI or machine learning. So fundamentally, ML is about teaching a mathematical model how to perform a task. And we start by defining features, which are representations of individual measurable properties. We then assemble all these features together into a model with varying weights and interconnections. And we train the model using data we've observed to adjust all those weights and connections so the model produces the most accurate output possible. This is a little abstract, so let me give an example. Let's say we have a lot of pictures and we want to recognize whether a given image contains a cat. We might define features for face detection, the shape of the ears, the size of the nose, the relative position of the eyes, and so on. And we train the model by showing it a lot of pictures, some with cats and some without. And the model can iteratively learn how important each of those features is in determining whether or not the photo contains a cat. Once model training is complete, we can show it an example that it's never been trained on, that's never seen before. And it can hopefully accurately predict whether that image contains a cat or not. And even very complex natural language models like Llama or ChatGPT work the same basically. At Meta, we use machine learning or artificial intelligence, I'm going to use the terms interchangeably, across the entire ecosystem of Meta products. So, for example, we use them to help recommend content to you in your feed on Instagram or Facebook, or help you find friends to connect with, or help you to discover products and experiences you want to engage with. So, given the prevalence of AI in its products, is Meta an AI company? I think we we would say that Meta is primarily a company about the connections between people, but ML is pretty foundational to how that's actually implemented. We are starting to see different approaches to regulating AI. What checks and balances does Meta have in place regarding AI's use in its products? One of our primary concerns is always user safety. Uh, We have a lot of really talented people working about integrity and privacy. It's been a big focus, uh, certainly for as long as I've been at Meta. Uh, Concretely, we extensively test changes to our models to make sure they're not only producing better results, but also do so in a safe way. I have a good example here. So we decided to discontinue automatic face recognition. So this was a feature where we would dynamically tag photos with who was in them. And as a consequence of deciding to discontinue this, we deleted over a billion individual facial recognition templates that we developed. 
Now, this had some negative impact as well, and I think it's important to discuss it. So we generate automatic alt text. That's a fancy term for a text description of what's in an image for people who are visually impaired. When we disabled automatic facial recognition, we couldn't automatically include the names of people in an image anymore. And we did this even though we thought that facial recognition was helpful, it really needed to be weighed against concerns about the use of facial recognition technology as a whole. And we decided that it was more appropriate to limit this to very narrow use cases like account recovery or identity verification rather than broad spread use. Let's stay on this point for another second. How do project managers influence the use of AI on a project relative to the influence, say, a software engineer like yourself would have? That's a great question. And I think uh, there are two different answers. So the first one is we have great product managers who stay really deeply connected to our users and their communities. That gives us a lot of insights into both the business and human sides of where we can use AI to help delight our customers, or maybe whether we need to be a little bit more circumspect in how we use ML. Of course, our privacy and integrity teams continue to play a really big role in those discussions. The other side is, as an engineer, one of the great things about Meta is that even though we're a really big company, we've kept a lot of the startup culture alive. And as a result, engineers have a lot of autonomy to drive projects bottoms up. So if you have a great idea, you can just go try it. And some of our best AI innovations have come from exactly that. Another piece of Meta's business that investors always look at during earnings is development of the metaverse. How do AI and the metaverse either complement or compete with one another? I think these are largely complementary rather than competitive. Both of these areas have the opportunity for incredible transformational change. We've invested extensively into both, and I honestly think we can continue to sustain that investment. I don't think we need to explicitly trade one off against the other. So I think Meta spent something close to over a billion dollars a month on the metaverse in 2022, and clearly it's not a profit center for the company yet. Is the metaverse project dead? Absolutely not. Our investment in the metaverse remains strong. I'm confident we're going to continue to push that forward across the board. But I also think the right lens for the metaverse is that it's a very long-term investment. It's the kind of long-term risk many companies aren't willing to take on. I do think the future will involve the metaverse in one way or another. We will end up using this technology as part of our daily lives. Although I, it's still very early, and I don't think I can tell you exactly how that's going to materialize. How do improvements in Meta's virtual technology headset, the Quest, play into the success of the Metaverse? We're still in really early days with the Metaverse, both on the software and hardware side. Uh, I have a Quest Pro here right next to me. It is far better than the Oculus headset uh, I was using just a few years ago. The technology is moving forward incredibly fast. We're really pushing the frontier here. And while the headset's important, we continue to explore other hardware approaches to the metaverse as well. I can't say whether any of those will materialize as consumer products, but we take a pretty broad view of what the metaverse might be, and I think the hardware platform will ultimately reflect that. When will virtual reality properly mimic our perceived reality, and what technological limitations prevent the hardware from bridging that gap? So speaking as an engineer, there's 
one set of technical limitations. There's a lot of computation that has to be done to generate that kind of completely immersive photorealistic experience. And we also have to work within hardware constraints, some of which may not be entirely obvious. Uh, for example, size, heat, and power are all a really big deal with a headset. If we, have a, if we had a headset that could generate a photorealistic, completely immersive experience, but had 10 minutes of battery life and got to 150 degrees while you were wearing it, that wouldn't be a successful product. I'm also honestly not sure how important that dream of actual reality is from a product perspective. So for example, photographs and telephones don't perfectly mirror actual reality either, but we still derive incredible enjoyment and utility from them. That classic dream of virtual reality is something indistinguishable from our lived reality, but I think there's a lot of incremental value between where we are now and that dream. Augmented or mixed reality, for example, has a lot of really interesting applications. Hmm. Like what kind of applications? So the ability to have a mechanical part, for example, that you have appear on a table in front of you, maybe that you're collaborating with another user, uh, another engineer from around the world, where you can both interact with that part, flip it over, see how it looks, how do, how do all the individual components fit together in a really immersive, kind of hands-on feeling sort of way, that's a really powerful experience, just for, as one example. What other examples can you envision? Uh, if you were working on your car, to look at your car and see exactly where all the wiring harnesses go. How exactly is that spark plug hooked up to a coil? Where is exactly is it being driven from? How exactly are the coolant lines supposed to run? Like there are a lot of things that we might think of as very mundane, but are actually a huge benefit from the point of view of the person using them as an assistive technology. Absolutely. Now I'm considering what a potential sea change that could be in how information and skills are learned. Just consider the difference between learning in that manner, that immersive manner, relative to opening a textbook. Wow. How much creative license does Meta give to its engineers, uh, outside developers, to further develop the Metaverse? So I think of the Metaverse primarily as the marriage of a hardware platform and a software platform. And from the software engineering perspective, we're mostly focusing on what does the software platform enable me to do? And the truth is there, especially as a third-party developer working within the Metaverse platform, you have all the creative license you could want. Now, if you go to the Quest App Store, you'll find all sorts of applications made by third-party developers, some of which are really pushing the limits. From games, I've been really enjoying Among Us in VR, for example, to really immersive mixed reality apps that you collaborate with your coworkers and rendered objects. The virtual sky is really the limit. One final question regarding the metaverse. What value does Meta see in the metaverse project? That's a really interesting question. Let me come at this from two different angles. The first one is, Meta, we very much view as our corporate identity that we help bring people together. And whatever platform and technology helps us do that best is something we're going to invest in. I think we've seen that with uh, the core Facebook application, Instagram, WhatsApp. Like we really want to help consumers and businesses and just people connect to each other. And the metaverse is a very long-term way of thinking what's the next step in how people connect with each other across 
distances, across cultures, across languages. So I think that's the, the first lens we can look at. It. The second lens is we always see technology democratize over time. So we start when it's academics or early adopters um, really playing with something at a very small scale. And then that gradually expands out to the rest of the world. I remember as a kid having a 1200 baud modem and playing interactive text-based games with other people around the world. This was 30 plus years ago. I would have been really hard pressed to look at that technology back then and forecast how massively multiplayer online games would be something that are almost foundational to the culture and experience of kids now. And that's just 30 years. So I think that's, that's the other important angle, that even though right now we're very much in the early days, early adopters, headsets, trying to figure out how to make this technology work, we don't really know how this is going to be adopted over the next five years or 10 or 20 years. We fundamentally have to think of the metaverse as a really long-term play about helping interconnect people. And even though the exact mechanisms by which that is going to become apparent, maybe we aren't entirely sure what they are yet. That perspective is an excellent place to conclude our conversation for today. GP, thank you very much for being on The Whip. Please consider coming back and talking with us. Thanks. I really enjoyed our conversation. GP and I finished our conversation talking about artificial intelligence and how Meta uses that in its advertising. I think that would be a fascinating follow-up conversation. If you feel the same, please message me at investwithwalter.com. You can also find our blog page there where I will share some additional information about today's guest. Please join us next week when we will talk about corporate earnings. Tune in next Friday for that and much, much more. Thank you for listening, and please have a nice weekend when you get there. Talk to you next week.